I woke up on Saturday morning, I looked at the Google Analytics and saw something like 500 or 600 simultaneous visitors to our website. Most employees would rather have the boss who at least tells them where they stand than the one who doesn't. You're listening to The Growth Show, a podcast that uncovers interesting stories and advice on growth from every corner of the business world. Hey folks, welcome to this episode of The Growth Show. I'm Kip, your host and the CMO here at HubSpot. Today, we have something very special in store for you. We have a guest host, Brian Halligan, HubSpot CEO, is going to be interviewing Bill Walton. Bill's got a ton of amazing lessons to share. I'm going to pass the ball and the mic over to Brian and let him get chatting with Bill. Uh, welcome, everyone. This is Brian Halligan from HubSpot. We have a special guest today, Bill Walton, three-time NCAA Player of the Year and two-time national championship at UCLA when he played college ball. NBA MVP, two-time national champion in the Hall of Fame uh, for basketball, and a new book out, a bestseller, Back from the Dead. Bill, welcome to the show. I'm lucky, Brian. <laughs> Great to be here. Great to be in Cambridge, where I lived when I played for the Celtics 30 years ago. We're in town, big picture, for a Celtic reunion of three different championship teams, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and 50 years ago. So all my heroes, all my friends, it's all right here. And just, I could never be more proud. Awesome, Bill. Uh, speaking of heroes, you've had a few heroes that I think are very interesting folks. Uh, let's start, let's go way back. Early on in my life, you know, my parents, incredible parents, but the most unathletic people you've ever seen. Never shot a basket with sure. my dad. Saw him run one time at the church picnic and fell over laughing. But I had okay. a great coach. Okay. And then I had the Celtics. That was my team. I love Bill Russell, my favorite player ever on and off the court. And the patriarch of the Celtics, Red Auerbach, what he did in terms of creating the culture, developing the foundation, and getting people willing to sacrifice and discipline themselves so that the group dynamic could succeed. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Okay, let's talk about that. Red Auerbach, Bill right. Russell. Uh, they had a very unique culture, very different than other organizations. Tell us how they did that, and how can we learn from Red Auerbach and Bill Russell? Red Auerbach, he was about winning. He was about using basketball as a vehicle to drive the community forward. And what he did in terms of inclusiveness, in terms of opportunity, in terms of building a family business, and he knew everybody and he knew everything and he demanded excellence. He was the precursor to David Stern. David Stern who did it on a national and ultimately global level. And then David Stern became the single most important person in the history of basketball, even though he never shot a basketball because he brought the business acumen to the whole league. Mm -hmm. Red did that here in Boston against all odds because of the, uh, of the changing demographics in Boston, of the cultural changes, of the economic forces that were always in play there. But Red, he never asked us to do anything that he hadn't done or wasn't willing to do himself. And so that sense of loyalty sure. that the leader has to inspire, has to pull the squad together, define the terms of the conflict, do what others can't and won't do, and then lead the relentless offensive attack and hit first. And then the liberal use of the word no. And the workforce, the players, What did he say no team, to? What did he say no to? He said no to everything. Like? No to more money. 
he was in charge. We didn't want anything from him other than to be a part of what he had already created. And I ultimately paid for it. It cost me every dime I had to come and join the team. It was the best money I ever spent, Brian. Now, that was a very interesting team. A lot to say the best team ever, 1986 Boston Celtics. You were the sixth man on that team. Which means that I was responsible for telling Larry what the schedule was. (laughs) A lot of stars on that team, including yourself. Tell us about Larry Bird. What was it like to play with Larry Bird? What kind of a leader was he? Larry Bird was the greatest player I ever played with. Just this dynamic comet who was just searing across the universe. And the ability for Red to be able to identify what he had as a player. Because Larry was very good, but he was not the best until he got here. And he was also not the best until they surrounded him with Kevin McHale, who was the second best low post player I ever played against, Chief, Robert Parrish, who was the foundation, who was the pillar, Mm -hmm. the guy, the rock, who would just be in the middle, do all the dirty work, and allow the wild ones on the wings, Larry and Kevin, to do their thing. Mm -hmm. And and Red, while he was a a tremendous businessman and a tremendous leader, he was a team builder. Mm -hmm. He knew what it took to support the stars that he had. And one of the legendary stories from the early days was... uh, when the reporters would always ask Red Auerbach, Red, why do you play Casey Jones? He doesn't have any statistics. He doesn't do anything out there. And Red said, I don't know what Casey Jones does either. (laughs) The only thing I do know is that when he's in the game, we win, and when he's on the bench, (laughs) we lose. And that's why I play him all the time, Casey Jones, who in the Basketball Hall of Fame, as a player, and went on to become our coach on the seventy on the eighty six Celtic team, thirty years ago, and he was the perfect coach. We loved him. We would do anything for him, and he was the most. Casey Jones was the most like John Wooden of any coach I ever played for. All Tell me about John court. Wooden. John Wooden was this guy who was an English teacher by profession. John Wooden never spoke about basketball, never talked about winning. We never watched film. He never used the blackboard. He never had a play. He never called timeout. In four years playing for him, he mentioned the other team twice. We lost both games. Thanks a lot, coach. (laughs) But here was a guy who gave up his life, really more than most of anybody I've ever come across, Gave up his life so that other people's dreams could come true. It wasn't always that way for a coach, wouldn't it? Because he was the first great player. And when you're a player and you're that guy, as Larry Bird was on our team, Larry Bird, who one of the seven greatest players in the history of basketball, when you're that guy, you have to think about yourself. You have to think about leading that charge and, and, and being the point of the spear, the top of the pyramid. But then Coach Wooden, as happens to everybody, he had to stop playing because of injuries and because he was getting older. And so then he became a teacher and ultimately a coach. He loved English, though. That was his true love. He loved language. He loved sentence structure. He loved grammar. He loved perfection Mm. and simplicity and clarity. He happened to have young men under his athletic supervision in the afternoon, and he realized his responsibility and duty and obligation as the coach, as the teacher, as the leader was to make us better basketball players, but more importantly, make us better people. Mm. And so the basketball part was easy because he had his four laws of learning. I never played for anybody. I never worked with any teacher who spent so much time thinking everything through and then writing it down. And because of his love for English, Mm. he was able to put it into the simplest terms and just phrases that while they're incredibly easy to memorize and regurgitate, 
to be able to implement them and to put them into practice, the pyramid of success, the seven-point creed, the two sets of threes, the endless maxims for every scenario on earth, and then the tools to overcome the adversity that he knew. Because when we played for him, Brian, he was in his mid-60s, mm. and we were teenagers. Yeah. And it was California, and it was Nixon, it was Vietnam, and it was crazed world, it was rock and roll, and it was everything right there, the boiling cauldron. And there was Coach Wooden just thinking, oh, this is all about basketball and English and everything. And it was a lot more than that. I, I, I was Coach Wooden's easiest recruit. I became his worst nightmare. And ultimately, I drove the guy to an early grave at 99. No, you didn't. I not. did. <laughs> no, early look at the pictures. Look at the pictures. When Kareem was there and Sidney and Curtis, he was just doing fantastic. And then 1970, when I got there, within two years, maybe even 18 months, he had at least two heart attacks. His body, he just was all stooped over. His hair turned chalk white. And oh, my gosh. And then... And then he retired a year after I left, and then he, and, and I was disappointed. Bill, tell me some of his maxims, or c- can you summarize a little bit of his his the foundation? His, yeah, the foundation that he tried to give us. And what's it, like? Let's just say you're CEO of a company today. What can you take away from Coach Wooden? Think of the dream of how you get to where you want to go. The number one way to do that is to ask somebody who's on their way back. Coach Wooden was an incredible questioner. He loved to ask questions. Mm. I loved to ask questions, too. He didn't want to hear any of mine. Okay. I always wanted to know why. Yeah. Why I had to cut my hair. Why I had to shave. Why I had to wear the clothes he wanted me to wear. Why Nixon was president. He knew. He, he showed us the path, how to get to the promised land, the top of the mountain. Have a dream. Choose a teacher, a leader, a coach. Join a team, immerse yourself in the positive culture that's already there, develop the individual foundation, assuming and understanding that the strength of the team is the strength of the individual, and you've got to have it yourself before you can make the positive contribution, and then the willingness to sacrifice and discipline. So Coach Wooden, he had his foundation, which he tried to give to us, which was based on his pyramid of success, 15 human values and personal characteristics that he thought were important in terms of who you are. Industriousness, enthusiasm, friendship, loyalty, cooperation, intentness, initiative, alertness, self-control, physical fitness, skill development, commitment to the team, poise, confidence, and competitive greatness. Years later, he added two other words, faith and patience. So you remember all those? Oh yeah, no. (laughs) His four laws of learning, demonstration, imitation, correction, and repetition. What's that mean? Say it again. Demonstration, show somebody, imitation, the student replicates what they've just been shown. Sure. Co- correction, mm-hmm. the adjustments, the modifications that the teacher shows you where you're doing it wrong, mm-hmm. and then repetition. And that's how you learn. Tell anything. me about practice with him. Practice was phenomenal. Practice that, that we couldn't wait to get there. It was so organized. It was so structured. It was so disciplined. He wrote everything down on a three-by-five card, and everything was done by the clock. We had a big giant clock at both ends of Poly Pavilion, and we knew as players, we knew when it started and we knew when it ended, and it never went a second over. Mm-hmm. He often ended it early, but every time we would do anything, and he's pushing and he's driving us, we never stopped for instruction. If you couldn't get it, you were pulled to the side, and an assistant coach would work for you, work with you on something. But in the course of the action, the toughest thing, the most demanding, the most challenging physical exercise and challenge that I've ever faced in my life in terms of you know, no water, no towels, no chairs, no talking other than the incessant chatter of encouragement and positive support and then his 
high-pitched voice over the top with the commands, with the, with the instructions, the direction, criticism, but always encouragement mm. and, that, and that sense of, okay, we tried, Brian, with everything that we had every day to get him to acknowledge that we were doing something. I mean, this was recently voted the greatest team in the history of college basketball. We set all the records. We started there 46 years ago, and they still stand to this very day. But Coach Wooden, as much as we tried to get him to acknowledge that we were doing something right, the most we ever got was maybe a twinkle in his eye <laughs> or maybe his lip. His lip would curl up just a little bit because as soon as we would do something, he would say, okay, now do it faster. Now do it faster. It. Now do it faster because he loves speed. All he right, I have a strange question. Observation. These these men you respect, our back, wouldn't. Yeah. They're controlling types of people. You don't they were in, they you, were you in don't, charge. You don't strike me as a person who's easily controlled or charged. You, you strike me as sort of... They were controlled in the... The opposite. <laughs> they were controlled in the preparation. Okay. And there's a huge difference between preparation and performance. Okay. And I grew up in a world of questions. You know, my dad came back from World War II and spent the rest of his life trying to convince people to get along. My mom was our town's librarian. Our family life growing up as children, music, radio, and books. This life, this culture that our family was, was curiosity, exploration, and experimentation. And so now... By the time I'm 16, 17, graduated from high school, I can't wait to get away from my parents. Oh, my gosh. And then I get up to UCLA, and here's Coach Wood. I thought my parents were strict. This guy was off the charts. Mm. And then I write this new book with Simon and Schuster. I thought my parents and John Wooden were strict. These guys were just totally off the wall. And all they did was say no. Now, they've been fantastic partners along the way. I just didn't understand it, sure. which leads to John Wooden's maxim that he wrote to me on the day I graduated from UCLA. It's the things you learn after you know it all that count. Hmm. But the one that he kept trying to get back to, that he never really got away from. Basketball, like life, not a game of size and strength, but a game of skill, timing, and position. Not how big you are, how big you play. Not how high you jump, where you are, and when you jump. And so I'm scratching my head, and I'm saying, this makes no sense, wouldn't it? What are you talking about? It's not a game of size and strength. Are you kidding me? Kareem has all the records. Shaq has all the money. And Wilt has 20,000 girlfriends. And you're telling me that it's not about size and strength? And he said, Walton, you're the slowest learner I've ever had. Don't you realize <laughs> it's not about stuff? It's not about material accumulation and physical gratification. It's about training the mind. Training the mind to become the champion in everything you do and then the willingness to sacrifice and discipline yourself so that others won't have to so that the team can achieve its goals. And here was this guy who just kept going on a constant basis. But he was always trying, always trying to, to get. Because all that stuff about the foundation that we just ran through, that's about preparation. The three bottom tiers of the pyramid are about preparation. But the performance at the top, poise, confidence, competitive greatness, poise, just be yourself, that's good enough, confidence. You've got to believe that you're going to be able to get this done, and it just can't be hot air. It has to be substance based on the, the lifetime of work that you put in, and then the competitive greatness, be at your best when your best is needed. And he was always trying to get, though, to the tools, the tools to overcome the adversity that he knew 
would be there. The motivation, the most important skills, balance, quickness, creative imagination, empathy, and then the confidence needed to be the champion. And then the persistence, the perseverance, and the discipline to get the job done when you're really up against it. Because it's easy when you're hot. It's easy when you're memorizing all this stuff. But to try to implement it when the ball's gone the other way, that's where the true greatness comes. Let's talk about one other person that we both admire, Jerry Garcia. Jerry Garcia, Larry Bird, and John Wooden are all the same person. The level of selflessness. They're the leader, they're responsible, and they got to make it happen. They've got to deliver on the court, peak performance on command. But they're not in there for themselves. Mm. They're in there for the team. They're in there for the purpose, for mm. the mission. Mm. And, and the sense of... It was a non-material world that they live in. And and that sense of this is the right thing to do and this is why we're going to put everything we have. Because when you look at the champions, they're defined by their mental acuity, their ability to make the decisions at the right time quicker than anybody else, and then their emotional commitment. Do they care? Jerry, John Wooden, Larry Bird, at the top of the guys that I've been privileged to work with. Um, Bill... You're one of the, the happiest people I know. Uh, just, 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 just before you. Why? You know what? What you've got an unusual. Uh, other than anyone else, here, unusual outlook on life. So positive. What is what is inside of you that's motivating you? Then that burns. It burns happy. I never wanted. I never really cared about business. I never really cared about money. Sure. It was always we. We had nothing when we were children, but we had everything. My parents both worked, but. I learned early on from all the books that I read mm. that, that I wanted to be I wanted to be great and I wanted to be happy and I wanted to be fulfilled and I wanted the things that I was doing were to mean something to me. Coach Wooden, UCLA, they would get so mad at me when I was in high school and college because they would they would work tirelessly to get me a summer job so that I could have some cash. And so I you know, I'd finally you know, I'd get the job and I'd go there and I'd work for two or three days and then I'd just quit. And then they'd call me and say, Bill, we've got this job. What do you mean? Why are you quitting? I said, I, I got enough money. I made enough money in those two or three days. I, that's going to last me the rest of the summer. <laughs> and so, you know, I just always loved things that didn't cost money. Riding my bike, although bikes are very expensive. Uh, but, but playing basketball, I had a pair of shoes and I had a ball. And there was public courts everywhere. Uh, reading, my mom was a librarian. And listening to the radio. Uh, now, I spend a lot of money today, but I still... I have a much better chance of being the happiest person on earth than the richest person. And I'd much rather be the happiest. Uh, my first coach, Rocky, he, he was our town's fireman. And he had three children of his own. We all went to the same school, and that's how we knew him. The fire station was down on the street corner. And Rocky, he saw a need at the school for an athletic program in the afternoon because there was nothing to do for the children. So for 59 years, he volunteered every day. Not once a week, not on the weekends, every day. He told the fire station, look, if you need me, you call me. I'm down at the school working with the children. And so for 59 years, he volunteered, never took a dime. The richest guy I've ever known. He knew joy. He knew mm-hmm. happiness. Mm-hmm. He knew building the community. And all the books I read that, that inspired me to try to move beyond the narrow confines of my own little tiny life. And then, and then I, I got to be inspired by all these 
fantastic people, the Grateful Dead, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Jimmy Cliff, John Lennon, John Fogarty, the Rolling Stones, Bruce Springsteen, the Eagles, and Carlos Santana, these endless lists, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, endless list of musicians who were just singing songs to me, for me, and about me. And it was just absolutely spectacular mm. for me and inspirational. But then my life, which has been defined by these meteoric climbs to the top and get all the way there just euphoria ecstasy and then immediately a crash catastrophic health crisis yeah orthopedic all the time feet knees spine hands face you name it just absolutely takes me right to the bottom and i can't get back up and so i had to start all over every single time this happened 15 or 16 times during the course of my life including eight years ago when my spine failed it was the toughest thing and so uh, while I, I, I tried to make it back, and I, and I have made it back, I never thought, Brian, for all these years, never thought that I would be healthy. I never thought that I'd be free of pain. And I also never thought that I'd be happy in love. And I'm all of those right now, and there's nothing like it on earth. I spent half my adult life in the hospital. Mm. I spent half my adult life in airplanes, in hotels, in a world built for preschool children, rent-a-car lines. Waiting, waiting, waiting. I hate to wait. I hate to waste anything. I hate to waste energy, electricity, resources. But what I really hate to waste is time. And so much of my life has been wasted. And that's why so many of the songs that Jerry would sing or Bob Dylan would sing, Bob Dylan, Chimes of Freedom, but Jerry Garcia, Mission in the Rain, all the things I've tried to do but only did halfway. Huey Long on his deathbed when they gunned him down because he was for education, infrastructure, and health care. They shot him down. He's lying there on his deathbed at 42, and he's saying to the people who were attending him, please, God, don't let me die. There's so much more to do. Bill, speaking of more to do, you've written this wonderful book. Tell us a little bit about it. Why did you write it? Uh, give us, give us, tell us a little bit about it. I wrote it for people who are interested in the game of life. Okay. And the reason that I wrote it was because I was inspired in my own life by all these books, all these characters. I'm a nonfiction reader. Mm-hmm. I like history, biography, exploration, and adventure. And to be able to, to transpose my own psyche and spirit and soul throughout the universe because of these other people who wrote these fantastic books that have driven me to become the person that I am. When I was lying on that floor all those years with my spine and I couldn't move and I had no future and I was going to kill myself because there was nothing worth living for. Mm. I kept asking myself, Brian, what am I going to do if I ever get up off this floor? Mm. And so now as I've started over, I I started with three commitments, Hmm. and those three were, I was going to tell my wife, Lori, how much I love her every day, Hmm. because there is no way I ever would have made it through that spine without her, Hmm. and she's the reason I'm so happy. I mean, she's absolutely incredible, and then the second one was I was no longer going to suffer fools and nonsense. I was just going to move right through them and buy them, and then the third thing is I was never going to wear a tie again the rest of my life, and I have been true to that in the, <laughs> the in the seven years and two months since my spine operation, February of two thousand nine. The great, happy, wonderful Bill Walton. Check out his book. I loved it. Thank you all for listening today. 
The Gross Show is going on the road to San Francisco. On May 12th, we're going to be hosting a live episode at our San Francisco Grow With HubSpot event. Want to come see the show in person? Head over to bit.ly slash sfgrowshow to register. It's free. We'll see you there.